All right. Happy Friday. It has been a, a wild ride so far already. And no, this is not this is not the uh, planned scheduled learning tech talks because uh, they had to cancel at the last minute. So um, I decided, you know what, we're just going to let the show go on. And Matthew Daniel has decided to join me. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And we're going to talk. You know what we said? You know what? It is the first Learning Tech Talks of the year. So this actually works out perfect because I said, why not do a predictions and trends conversation about what we've seen, what we think is coming. So anyway, before we get into that, let's do. we're going to do the usual stuff. We're still going to do the usual stuff. But in the true spirit of the pivot... We're gonna we're gonna have a load of fun doing it. So for those of you joining, comment and tell us where you are in the world today. And I'm gonna start with you, Matthew. Where are you today? I am in um, Nashville, Tennessee, where where we almost had one of our like five threats of snow a year, okay. um, which we get really excited about, and then it's always a disappointment. There's okay. no snow. So. so no snow. No snow. No snow. Okay. Well, we we didn't have snow until last week and then we got about 15 inches so um, we wouldn't know what to do <laughs> well, we did we just went sledding a, a bunch so um yeah we we had a lot of fun with that but you know and since this was such a last minute pivot and i didn't have time to like update where you're from why don't you tell people who you are do do your little sure. elevator speech so people sure. know who on earth is matthew daniel yeah so i'm uh over 15 years in learning and talent development um, I've had the opportunity to do that. I started my career at GP Strategies, which gave me the opportunity to work in organizations, standing up learning tech and uh, implementing large scale uh, learning programs at companies like Nike and Cigna and Microsoft and GlaxoSmithKline, Bristol-Myers-Squibb, Allstate, uh, a, a number of uh, Fortune 1 and 200s. I was in-house leading learning technology and innovation for six years at Capital One um, and then went out on my own about two and a half uh, years ago and uh, uh, did some consulting on learning tech, overall L&D transformation work, and now serve as a principal consultant with Guild Education, which is focused on uh, talent development and kind of how to take uh, a longer term view at talent development and the technology that uh, we use to do that and, and integration and in a um, uh, marketplace with universities and other learning partners. And so I help employers figure out what is the talent demand you're going to have a couple of years from now and how do we make sure we create a catalog of content that aligns with that. So yeah, 15, 16 years uh, doing this thing of learning and learning technology and uh, both for on my own and in-house and now uh, with a-, a you, went, you went out, you came back in, right? Like we, we've known each other for a while now. So yeah, we have. Actually, it was actually perfect. And actually we have another person who's joining us, Matthew. We've got, we've got Jeff from the group. So I said, yeah. hey, you know what? We're, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with this. Why do we have to limit it to just just us? So, but we know each other from the learning tech space. I think I was excited when you said, "Hey, I happen to be free. Let's do this thing. Let's talk about tech and go live." So I'm looking forward to the conversation. So thank yeah. thanks for making the pivot, Jeff. We were just doing introductions, so we know cool. that Matthew is in Nashville. There, there's a terrible fear of snow, but they don't have any yet. Um, he just shared his little background on tech and all this good stuff. Why don't you go next in terms of where are you and who the heck are you? I know who you yeah. are. Everybody watching yeah. might know. 
And Matthew, it's so funny. I feel like we we chatted on LinkedIn recently uh, on on some post or something, and now we're in the same room together. That's kind of funny. Yeah, we're in the same room. Oh, virtually, it's amazing. We're, we're in the same room. Let's just you know, in this COVID world, if we're in the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, um, and you're and this is my thing. So it kind of this is about as close to a room as anybody will probably ever get to me. <laughs> Oh man. Um, yeah. So I'm in Los Angeles. So, um, yeah, Southern California, been here about eight years or so. Love it. And, um, my background, um, I actually started my career out in sales in the, in the tech and software space. And, um, during my time at, uh, a talent management vendor, um, a learning and talent management vendor, uh, Cornerstone. I realized CSOD. I was what CSOD. Yes, yeah, CSOD. Yep, you know it. Um, I loved my time there, but I just realized I was so much more passionate about all of the the enablement and the the onboarding and the mentorship and and the demoing and like the sales skills development that I was that I would end up spending my a lot of my time in in every role I had. And then I was working with L&D people every day. And I was like, I just, I, this is cool what people. We are yeah, pretty cool people. We're pretty cool. I think so. Uh, and so, you know, over a span of time, I just eventually made the switch over to uh, just more and more into, uh, uh, I started like supporting some L&D programs okay. at Cornerstone um, and, and networked a bunch, probably over like a six to eight month period. Um, found out what niche of L&D I wanted to first tap into um, and then eventually made the switch. Um, and because of my background in software and tech and at Cornerstone, I naturally in, in all my L&D roles uh, have geared towards uh, supporting the learning management systems, our learning tech stack, uh, editing, and authoring, all that fun stuff. And um, yeah, now I'm at Snapchat and uh, helping build out their global onboarding programs for their sales org, as well as like a bunch of other stuff. Like we just launched a digital adoption effort um, because I was super passionate about helping people learn how to use systems in the system itself, um, as well as a bunch of other fun things. So cool. And where you're, you're in California, correct? Yeah. Yeah. LA. Yeah. Okay. See, there we go. Yeah. There we it's kind of crazy right. out here right now, but we're <laughs> yeah, just yeah, I, I would, in my, my apartment. I would imagine. Well, so, and for those of you who may just be joining or just catching up, we had uh, the today's originally planned guest canceled at the last minute. So I said, hey, I'm going to see who I can grab, who knows tech, who will get on and be willing to just pull an audible with me and start talking <laughs> about our predictions and the trends we think that are coming in 2021. And Jeff and Matthew said, let's do this. So here we are. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do a super fast one though. I do have the icebreaker. I love doing the icebreaker. So, but you got it. We got to do it quick. So I'm going to, I'm going to land the plane. If you keep going too long, that's going to be my <laughs> one rule. So the icebreaker question and for locate, right. I'm in Waukesha. I said it, it's snowing. We got lots of snow. It's cold here. I think I say it enough. So people know where I am, but the icebreaker question today. All right. What is, and do it quickly. What is something you're looking forward to? We're talking about predictions and trends for 2021. What is something you're looking forward to in 2021? Let's reverse the order. Jeff, you're up first. Is this just in life? 
or in learning tech. I, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to give you flexibility. You, you're asking follow-up questions. This, this, this is just, it's a pivot episode, episode, so I'm pivoting. You decide. Yeah. You know what? I'm looking forward to, at some point, I have a new baby, uh, being able to like actually be around other families and humans um, in some consistent <laughs> manner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Jeff is a new father. So I'm sure having other other parents and families to hang out with. All right. All right. Well, yeah. assuming there's no more mutations and new strains. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a long shot, but maybe, maybe you'll get that gift in 2021. How about you, yeah. Matthew? What, what are you looking forward to in 2021? Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, what I hope is another mostly uh, year of being at home. Uh, I've spent the entirety of my career on the road. So I counted recently. I put, I tucked my kid into bed, like almost 280 nights back to back. It's the best thing ever. Um, and so that's great. But also I do hope like one in-person conference in the fall. If, if like, if, if we can get there, <laughs> I, I've missed in my people face to face, uh, yeah. you know, doing those conferences for years, you get to know people, you miss them. Okay. All right. All right. Well, so I will, I will answer this one. You know, for me, life hasn't really changed much. So yeah, I've got the five little ones. So I see them all the time. Anyway, I don't go anywhere. This is about as close to anybody ever gets to me, which is, which is fine. So my, my thing I'm looking forward to, for those of you who maybe didn't see the post, I submitted my resignation from GE on Monday this week. So I am done. I am done with GE. Um, I, I think I've started to socialize a little bit. I can't, I'm not going to disclose all the details, but a lot of people thought I was going to be going and doing learning sharks full time, which was actually my plan. And just like this episode in the 11th hour, I pivoted and am moving into a chief learning officer role here in the near future. So I'll share all those details. So I'm looking forward to it. Thought one more stop on the corporate corporate train. I'm going to do some serious stuff, have a lot of fun along the way. So I'm looking forward to that in 2021. Congrats oh. again. Yeah. What's that? I said congrats again. Yeah, well, you know, I I feel like I, I actually posted about this yesterday. I feel like so often we're so focused on thinking of like, well, what are our new plans and goals? And we set new stuff. And how frequently do we actually look at what we're doing and, and look at what actually should we be shifting? What, what should we be pivoting? Maybe there's things that we have set our sights on that we actually need to move. And so yeah. that's what I had to do. So anyway, enough of that. This is a long icebreaker, but hey, why not? So... I don't, I don't have a nice, clean format for how we're going to talk about our predictions and trends. Jeff just went banana yellow, so I'm not sure. There he is. You, you're was, messing with your snap filter. I was I just messing with my snap camera to see I, if it I worked. It it's okay. Yoda. Yoda's coming out soon, I think. Oh, I tried. Um, but <laughs> So I don't have necessarily a super clean format. And for those of you who are watching, I would also love you to feel like you're part of this conversation. So if there's some things that you're asking, we've got some really smart people other, not me, the other two who are here are going to have some really great insights into this. And I think we're going to have a great discussion, but the whole goal of this show is to add as much value for you as possible. So if you're watching and listening and going, I'm curious, what do you think about some of this stuff? Ask, feel free to ask, uh, because I think there is a lot of stuff happening over the last, over the last 12 months, I've seen some major shifts. So I'm just curious out of the gate, you know, are there any burning ones that either of you have seen that you go, I, let me ask you this. 
Is there one that you didn't expect that you think is all of a sudden kind of creeping into 2021 that you go, I actually was not anticipating this coming as quickly as it did, but it's actually coming quick. You can noodle on that for a second. Mm-hmm. While you're thinking, I'll, 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 I'll start with yeah. this. This will be a jumping off point. I had a conversation recently um, with, and I actually in my tech trends, summary of 12 months back in October when I did that. One of the one of the actual opportunities that I pointed out that I still had not seen a lot of tech players getting into. We're collecting a ton of data, a ton of data. The systems are collecting data in in different ways. We're getting more meaningful data. I th- I'm excited about that. One of the things though that I still see as an opportunity that I thought was going to take a little bit longer was technology that's actually making actionable insights and actually serving you up with actionable insights based on that data. Not necessarily taking action, but saying, hey, our tech is actually now looking at all these trends, looking at all this stuff, and then coming to you saying, have you thought about this? Here's an opportunity that we're seeing or things like that. And I actually had a recent conversation. I won't spoil it because we're planning to have a show dedicated to just this. But I was talking with somebody yesterday and their tech is 100% focused on workforce planning based on skill profiling. And what it's doing is looking at the skill profile of your organization, capturing multiple data points from your HRAS, from your learning tech stack, from your business systems. And it's actually analyzing that and generating insights to help you better predict how to mobilize your workforce and what skill opportunities that you have. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's, if you did the work and you have a data scientist or you are a data scientist and you sit and go through it yourself, you can. But now I'm actually seeing this creep up pretty quickly in terms of the tech actually feeding us some of this stuff and say, which I didn't think that was gonna happen in 2021 yet. I was pleasantly surprised, but I gotta say that that was one that caught me off guard. I think that's super interesting because, um... I feel like I've I've talked to a few people who I kind of see as like they're trying to look ahead about how we can enable our workforces to to like grow in their careers and stay at their companies. And the conversations are much more right talking about skills and jobs are culminations of, of skills versus you know the previous titles you've had or things like that. And so I think at scale to be able to tap into like what are what are like the actual skills that everyone's having and inventorying them and then like actually making recommendations is really interesting. I haven't actually ever seen that done <laughs> uh, at any company I've been at. So it always sounds really sexy and cool, but um, right. I'll, super I'll be excited. Way out there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like I did my first talk on machine learning in learning like six years ago at Macy. <laughs> and, and the thing that I said then, and like luckily I I'm, tend not to be one of those folks who's like, and it's gonna change the world now. And I was like, look, this folks, I the potential here is outrageous. And also I think we won't even see anything that feels realistic for five to seven years. And like here, I mean, this is the phrase that I use all the time until Netflix and Amazon start making me really good recommendations um, with all the data they have. I'm concerned about the quality of recommendations <laughs> that we're going to continue to get in the learning space with yeah. the limited data sets that we have, um, you know, from a veracity of, uh, in the data science world, it's a, around velocity and veracity of data. And so 
Now, I think um, I think it's it's promising to hear that. I was talking with Danny at Red Thread about skills uh, two days ago, and I think I like I pull on two things at the same time when it comes to this, and it is one that um, we've got to keep talking about skills, and uh, for precisely that that reason, like it's at some point we are going to get over the hump that we're going to have the uh, the velocity and volume of data that um, and, and it's going to matter. So you know we're going to we're going to kind of cross that thing and we're going to say, we've been saying for a decade that this was coming and we're finally going to cross that point. I think in the meantime, a lot of companies are in paralysis around looking at skill libraries of 30,000 skills and going like, what? I don't, what do I do with this? You know, XAPI was the thing that it was the way that the L&D world was going to try and use data to both capture and make actions and, and do those things. And there's some people who are doing it really well, but the amount of systems and the whole world. I mean, when when XAPI came out, it was um, it was kind of the goal to break out of just the LMS system. Well, we broke out of the LMS <laughs> into like a, really a completely fragmented world of dozens <laughs> of different types of systems, and now that data doesn't really integrate. So, you know, at Capital One, we were doing a lot of work around bringing that into a data warehouse and doing something thoughtful with it. Uh, I can't wait to hear about uh, systems who think they really uh, cracked it on being right. able to take all those inputs and make actionable insights. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do one quick point of clarification, then I want to jump off of that. And I, it's LinkedIn's quirky with the LinkedIn Live, so I don't know who this is. So if you push it in the comments, let me know. But I want to clarify what you said, Matthew, because the question was the the disappointment of recommendations of Netflix and LinkedIn. <clears throat> and I think what you were getting at though was that when you were talking about machine learning at the time, you said, until those recommendations get really good, you're a little bit more skeptical about what's going to come out of that machine. Yeah. Not that and, Netflix and that has nailed it. Cause I agree I, with you. If, if you hit that, I don't know what to watch button on Netflix right now. Yeah, it's, right. <laughs> it's not real great, right? It's not real great and with five kids. I just end up watching a whole lot of cartoons. <laughs> like, that's all that yeah. You know I was going to say, you know, what's really interesting, though, what I've reflected on is I started watching a lot more, consuming a lot more content on YouTube probably three, four years ago. And that's actually become a pretty, it's it kind of becomes an echo chamber in some ways, which isn't great either, really quickly. But it, it does, has gotten to know what I like to watch. But it's because... I watch so many pieces. I watch a lot of pieces of content, right? That like Netflix, you watch a thirty-minute or an hour-long show. Well, on YouTube, I may watch like three or four pieces, and it's like collecting a lot more data. So, data, yeah, it's like the volume, yeah. And like, if you think about learning content, how many times are people going to go into to to consume a piece of learning that's going to like give the system a piece of data? And on that point, I think this is one of the things as we kind of talk about this trend stuff, you look at a lot of the learning content we have, a lot of systems still are not capturing potentials there, but we're still not tapping into like, what are people really doing with that content? And I think that's where adaptive learning is getting pretty interesting in terms of what we can see in terms of, you know, how are people engaging and what are they, we are, and I think this is the exciting part of where we're going is to your point, Matthew, we the potential's been there for a while. I feel like we haven't really been capitalizing on it very well. And that's result. one of the questions that came in is, do we really even have the right skills data to throw AI at it? 
And I would say historically, we really haven't. Like if we were to try and throw a machine learning algorithm at this thing, it's not going to do a very good job because it's the data is incomplete. It's not really pulling things. It's, it's capturing one viewpoint. Now, I do think, though, I have seen going back to another trend. I've actually seen a lot more stuff coming about that that I think are doing a better job of assessing actual skills. And I think the growth of simulations has tremendously done this. We can actually see what people are doing. Uh, the advancements in natural language processing has been tremendous in giving us you know, more data and insights into how do people actually communicate or how do they write or what are some of the things that are happening so that we can actually start to look at this stuff. And I think as we continue to connect more of our systems to the business systems, I was just on a call the other day, right? Mm -hmm. I was just on a call the other day where I was saying, if you can tap into more of your business systems to see what work is actually happening and what are people doing, you're going to be able to see the, the hidden communication channels that are happening. You're going to be able to see who's actually doing the work and what are they doing and who are people leaning on to do this, to start gathering a much more, what I call the skill thumbprint, right? The skill thumbprint of somebody and go, ah, it's not just what videos did they watch in the LXP or the LMS or what e-learning did no. they complete, but what are they doing on a day-to-day -day basis? What type of sims are they completing? Where are they really skilled? Who looks up to them? That kind of stuff. And that to me is exciting. I still think we've got some time. Yeah. We've got some time to get there. Yeah. I, I actually, um, this year has been a year of me learning, leaning really hard into skills data. Uh, yeah. MZ, burning glass data. What's the source of it? Looking through the libraries on some of the LXPs. I'll leave names out. But looking at uh, some of the major HCMs and some of the LXPs and um, where do they get their skills from? A lot of them are sourcing them from places like MZ and burning glass. And so spend some time with the team at MZ. Uh, what, you know, what? Tell me about those skills. Like, where do those skills come from? And those skills are largely the initial set came from from job descriptions. Like, they're not. Nobody said this is a skill. It was a yeah, word yeah. in a job description. Now they're doing a ton of work right now. That's it. really impressive around like uh, data validation through going in LinkedIn and different places to make sure that that's there. And then skill clustering that's doing some data validation there as well. But I think ultimately. You know, uh, job descriptions are are like uh, results of like comp and bin saying what can go uh, compensation and benefits and what can go in a job description and how we keep it as similar across the board as we can. And so I think we have this um, uh, just complete mismatch in language that's happening in all these different places. And even though a lot of the learning tech providers out there who are I'm talking about skills. They don't have their own unique skills library. They're reusing it from other places and putting a spin on it. So I think we've got some work also to do just on consistency um, to mm -hmm. make this work. Can well, and I think I think to your point, I'm going to jump on that because yeah. that's the style of the show anyway, right? And I think that 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 universal language for skills, I think, is probably if we want to talk opportunities. Yeah. To me, this is one of the biggest opportunities for organizations is to say, how are we, and, and maybe a tech company can help with some of this stuff. I think you know LinkedIn has done some good work to try and help standardize this because without a standard language, 
you really right. think about it, you could compare it to actual spoken language. Yeah. You put a bunch of people together that don't yeah. speak the same language, it's almost impossible to start to sort and figure out like, okay, what's actually going on here? And I think that's largely the big problem we have with skills right now is even within a business, each function right. That's right. has their yeah. own sets of skills. <laughs> and so it's hard to know what maps to what and, oh, you're good at this and this and these are different. And no, actually, they're not. They're actually exactly the same. For, yeah. for any of your folks out there, um, there is a it's called the Open Skills Network. And um, MC is a part of it. But there are a ton of providers and uh, uh, workplaces and universities that are getting behind this thing where um, they're, they're using this thing called the rich skill descriptor in RSD to actually put context around skills and like bring it in proximity so that uh, in hopes the, the whole point of it being open skill network is that we land with something more consistent across the board. Um, and it's been really exciting to be a part of that this year and helping to shape what I hope becomes a more standardized point of skills. But like, can I, can I just like pivot this conversation just a little bit and say, I think that the reason, come on, come on, let okay, me pivot. Hey, it's, it's a fear of the pivot. That was the whole it's show. The, fact, the Matthew Daniel Living Tech Talk show. No. Yeah, because I think 2021, <laughs> one of the things we're going to be talking about, there was a lot of talk about equity in the system, about diversity, equity, and inclusion in 2020. Yep. I think it was a lot of ideas. And I think 2021 is the year of put up or shut up. On, on this particular topic. There's going to be a higher level of accountability for it. That's here. right. And I think yeah. this is why skills are so important, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, so data, here it comes. The moment that you put a, a college degree on a, a job description, you eliminate like 76% of black candidates and 81% of Latinx mm. Um If you look at skills, there was a, a New York Times piece not too long ago that was like... Uh, I think it's like 30 million people are qualified for more jobs than what they can get because their skills profile, we're not using skill profile, we're using degrees. So I think yeah. there, I think the skills thing matters. This is, this is how it kind of loops back. I think the skill thing matters because when we get better at that, we don't just get it from a standpoint of like, how do we assign people to projects? Um, I think it's really, really interesting that it may help us to actually deliver on DE&I goals by yes. being more thoughtful about I, that. That's to me, you know, when people say like, why are you excited about skills stuff? It To me, it is the great equalizer. It really, in many regards, is a huge equalizer when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Now, granted though, to your point, we have to figure out how we're actually doing it in a way that is balanced and fair and equitable. Because again, this is where it can, the way we've historically done it has not done a very good job of it. But this is why I get really excited about this because when you start to actually dig into this and start to do a really good job peeling the onion and saying, okay, at the core, what are these skills? What do skills look like? Where do we apply them? Who has them? Who doesn't? Where do we need to grow them? Where do we need to buy them? This this is a game changer. And I was actually just talking with a panel of leaders the other day. I said, this is our opportunity in learning talent HR to have a massive, That's right. massive seat at the business table in terms of potentially steering the direction of where do we what do we need to go in this direction as a business? And we can either capitalize on that. Or we can go, well, I don't know, you know, it's it's kind of big and complicated, but I, I think it's huge. 
Yeah. I think it's huge. One question though, before we, because we're going to, believe me, we're going to, we're going to, so I want to answer Rudy's question. I want to answer Rudy's question because this is a good one. I think sometimes it's easy. You get in these discussions and, and I talk to a lot of people from big, you know, fortune, whatever companies. I don't know why that's a fancy thing, but anyway, right. And so sometimes you deal with people that have big budgets, big teams, things like that. And it feels like, oh, we've got X consulting firm coming in or we're partnering with this. Not everybody has that luxury. And I know a lot of people that are in my network who it might be just them or it might be them and a couple people who may be struggling with figuring out like, that's great if you got all the budget and resources to tackle this. I don't. So where can I start? So I'm curious your take on this for both of you. I know for me, one of the things I'm scrappy, right? I grew up, I grew up in the in the slums of L and D in many regards and had to kind of fight my way through it. And so for me, I found tapping into other parts of the organization was one of my most effective strategies and not being like, okay, I can only work within my L and D silo. Cause your company has these people somewhere. Most companies, even smaller companies, has someone somewhere who can start, who's maybe working on this in a different capacity. Again, it's kind of that skills conversation of, well, they might not be looking at data on L&D, but they're probably doing predictive analytics and you know things like that on something else. And if you go find them and have a conversation with them and say, hey, can you help, can you help me figure some of this stuff out based on some of these other data points? Maybe it's just me, but I've I've always found people like, sure, why not? Like, let's, you know, what does that look like? Let's talk about that. That that's the one that like immediately came to mind for me. Yeah, I think also just tapping into the L and D community, I think there's so many people in our in our broader in our broader industry that I have many times and maybe many people watching this, I've had conversations with and I've been like, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain on this. Could you could I get your help on this? And sometimes those those just stop in a, a quick conversation, but a lot of times they can evolve into like co-working on something together or getting support and feedback as you're working on a project. Um, like the same type of thing happens internally at a company. Um, but I know when I've been at like a 50 person company, you know, I didn't know of anyone doing that, right? So I had to lean on the outside network. But obviously as you get into bigger companies, you can probably tap into going to like a bunch of different Slack channels or Microsoft Teams and just like start saying, hey, does anyone do this? Does anyone do this? <laughs> Shout out, like, let's connect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I loved, I, I loved Yammer when it came out. And I remember people at first were like, Yammer, who needs Facebook for work? <laughs> like, what, do you not see the untapped gold that this thing is to be able to make friends and, and get to know people in other parts of the org that have nothing to do with you, but turns out they do some pretty similar things or have some really similar skills that you could tap into. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go yeah, no. I, so I want to echo you. I want to tell a quick story. I had a customer last year, small L and D shop, um, really wanted, wanted X API, right? They were, they were trying to really want to watershed. They wanted to pursue it and couldn't get the budget um, okay. internally, but they found somebody in the marketing group that was trying to play with Google analytics tagging. And so d this is just the story of exactly what you're saying is couldn't couldn't do the data gathering internally. It wasn't the tool that they wanted to use, but ultimately somebody else had the budget and man hours and the and so they started wrapping content with uh, Google Analytics tags to uh, 
to test and grab data. So I think just double clicking on your or plus oneing on your idea about uh, go to where the talent is in the organization and see how you can use. I would say the other thing, um, I don't remember the name that was on the the question, Rudy. but it's Rudy. Okay, so here is the here's the, the second thing that I would say is go to the business problem. Like if if you are a one man L and D shop or a one woman L and D shop and you have a um or you're a super small like you it's you should not be trying to gather all the data in the world and getting inside. You are misprioritizing your time if that's what you're doing. Um, and you're going to have a hard time keeping your job long term. Like I would say the thing that you need to do is find, go to the business imperatives. Like what are the things that everybody is talking about right now? And is there one or two data? What what learning initiative do I have that's tied to that? And for that one initiative, what what are like five data points that if I brought those into a leadership meeting would blow somebody's hair back, like, and ultimately potentially get me or more lack of hair back. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hey, look, some of us are getting old. Okay. So, um, the, like, and potentially get me more funding. Cause here's what I found when you show up with insights or you show up with something that's astounding, people find a way to find money in the budget. It. Yeah, it, it happens. So go to where the business is. Either go to where the town is and, and tap into it in whatever department exists, or go to the business priority and gather just enough data to help you make a big, uh, a compelling business case and gather insights that helps you iterate on your solution. And you should be able to win. You know, what's, what's really funny about that, because I, I, I will... Again, I hate when you know panels just echo each other, but I'll I'll add some additional color to it because that has, like I said, I grew up in the the slums of L and D in many regards, and that's how you had to operate. It was like you operated through your network, you got to know your network, and you met you met people outside the bounds of your functional silo, and all of a sudden you realize, like you said, hey, marketing, you do some of this stuff. Awesome. Any chance we can I can piggyback on what you're doing, or maybe. And normally they'll say, sure. And then the other one, that relationship piece about focusing on the business piece. And I know we talk a lot about it in our industry. We're like, focus on the outcome, focus on the problem. But sometimes we don't really scratch beneath the surface of what does that actually mean? And it's very pragmatic. It's very pragmatic. Some of the best strategies I've had that have ended up getting me like blank checks written to me going, just go for it is because I was having those conversations, like you said, just saying, what is it that's really, you know, keeping you up? Or what are the things, what's going on in your business that's just killing you? And just listening intently to some of that stuff. Now, in parallel, this is the part that I would say has been extremely helpful for me in this is, it's similar to why I do learning tech talks. It's why I spend so much time talking to other people outside my org, yep. talking to vendors. Everybody, I compare the vendor practitioner conversation to a middle school dance sometimes and it needs to stop right we're sitting on opposite sides of the gym looking at each other going like that's right I, I don't know you can talk to them have these conversations and i did that all the time so that when those business conversations came up and you heard the things you were listening and you went boom i know what that problem is i think i can fix that I think I might know a way that I might be able to get that for you. And they would say, tell me about that. H how might we do that? And you start small. You don't go out and buy some $2.8 million system to do That's it. Right. You say, hey, well, let's do an experiment. 
let's do an experiment and see if we can find one of these things. Let's see if we can do this. Yeah. And all of a sudden you do it and they go, can we do more than that? And because you've been doing all this stuff in the background, you're like, well, (laughs) let me tell you, I think we can. And maybe we could do it with this. And pretty soon that momentum builds People start finding money in places they didn't yeah. know. Just newsflash. If you have one person on your team or 300 people on your team, you always want more. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a gigantic company True. or a small I, company. I can have truly, bigger yeah. appetites and bigger ideas and bigger dreams than you have staff. It works the same way everywhere you are. It does. It does. Yeah. It does. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It just will continue to grow. So I think those were hopefully, Rudy, that answers your question because I think those are just Sometimes I feel like we, in many ways, but especially here, we sometimes over-engineer this stuff and we think it's yeah. it's too big or too far. It's unattainable. We can't get there. And it's like, well, we all started somewhere yeah. and you just yeah. started there and you did a crappy project that tanked and it didn't work well. But then all of a sudden you found the thing that did work kind of well and you got some momentum. Suddenly people started throwing money at you and next thing you know, I don't know where it goes. I'd love to see people just throwing money at me. Or what you, does that feel like? Just literally just. What does that feel uh, like? <laughs> no, I do think it's worth saying, like, there's so many interesting tech companies out there, so many interesting learning tech vendors, and it can be easy for me to be really interested in something and then pursue that as, like, the yeah. solution and find a problem for it. So just echoing, yeah. yeah. You, you got to echo your echo. It will completely destroy your reputation with that's the right. business. Is if you're coming to them with a hammer looking for nails, that's right? right. Like, yeah. I found this hammer. Do you have any nails I can pound in? Versus yeah. if you have a whole tool suite in the in the background that you're like, we're not using them yet, but I'm familiar with them. This is why I talk so much about we need to raise our digital acumen. We need to be looking at this yeah. stuff. Doesn't mean you're going to do everything with it but you need to know it's there. You need to know it exists. You need to know what's possible. So when these opportunities strike, there's one that comes to mind. I won't go into all the details, but there's one that comes to mind where literally it was something that I thought was so simple and it just snowballed to the point where it ended with, you tell us how much money you need, whatever it is, we'll do it. You tell me, I, I don't care. Whatever that number is, go for it. And I, and I remember going, I'm not really ready. This was more of a concept, but <laughs> okay, like sure, let's do it then. And, right. and you just kind of had to run with it. So that's yeah. almost like a red flag. Like if you're if it doesn't feel simple and like intuitive and like okay, yeah, this this makes sense. If you're having to make logical leaps for a solution to solve a problem, it's probably like oh. Is this actually the best? Like, am I really going to bring a solution to the table? Yes. Why not? Yeah. And or is that solution? Maybe I could do it, but is that solution scalable? Is right. it sustainable? Yeah. Like, this am I work on this Right. But, but can we can we blow this out? Can this yeah. be sustainable? Can we maintain this for the next yeah. two three years? Maybe not. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that that really had nothing to do with predictions and trends. But hey, this is my show, so we do whatever. <laughs> We do whatever we want. And Rudy had a question. We have to answer questions. I told people, if you have questions, ask them so that we can answer them. Because that's what we're here to do. Not that we have the answers. You know what? I I got a trend. You got something? You ready? All right. Let's blow my mind. I am astounded with the amount of people who are building talent mobility solutions in their company. 
They're yeah. building them out themselves. Not, yeah, I don't not know why like, that's happening. Well, I'll tell you why it's. Ha- I mean, I'll tell you why I think it's happening. I think we have a we have a problem. We're we're spending so much in talent in hiring and recruiting that we are we're trying to upskill within the organization, and so we need this talent market. I don't know why that's we're trying to build them. That's oh, well, <clears throat> that's I mean, another. I know why I built them at, at Capital <laughs> One. I know why we were building something internally there, because. Um, couldn't find what we needed on the market. The market is getting better. I will say from a maturity standpoint, so on on a trend, I will completely agree with you. This whole, and it goes back to, in my opinion though, this all is rooted in skills. This whole thing is rooted in this skills thing. And the organization is starting to say, all right, we need, we need to know more about skills, taxonomy, skill data. That is a trend that is just booming. That's been rolling like a tidal wave. I agree this talent marketplace thing is is growing and happening and continuing to evolve. I think there's in the Oreo though, the cream filling that I think we still need to have some room for growth, which we talked about in the beginning is the validation of that data and making sure we've got clean data and you know data that we can do stuff with. But I love your point about the talent marketplace. Well, and it it is it is like the actual layer. I mean, it's like, HCM... stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I said it's like the why we do this stuff. Right. Because, I mean, HCMs were always the promise of like bring together learning <laughs> and talents and like bring it all together. And and in essence, all the data sit, I mean, it's like five systems wrapped in one, like how much they actually talk to each other and bring insights. I mean, there are a couple of things they're getting better at. Oh, you moved to a new city, so let's make adjustments there. Oh, you got a new job, so let's make adjustments there. But I think... If, if I, in my opinion, talent mobility, that's like, here's the new job, here's the learning that gets you to the t- new job, here's the new skills for the new uh, job, uh, here's based on your experience, like, this is what we were always trying to create, ultimately, yes. and I, I don't think HCM ever delivered on that, no. um, and, and so talent mobility is like trying to live out the thing that we were always trying to build, which is an integrated like employee life cycle all the way across. Well, what we were missing, and and this was always my beef with this was, and and this is my question whenever something comes up, when learning, learning tech, tech, like, so what? And to me, that question wasn't really ever answered with historic systems was, oh, well, we're bringing it all together. So what? For what? What what are we, what is that going to do for me as a business leader or as an organization? And that was kind of met a little bit with blank stares, where this talent marketplace now answers. We're going to quit paying six vendors and just pay one. Yeah, right. Like, isn't that exciting? Look, we're cons- and you're like, yeah, that's not one that gets a business leader like jumping out of their seat. Now you start talking about workforce planning and reductions in right. retention, or increases in retention and reductions in attrition, and you know, cost of recruiting. You start talking those conversations, speed to hire, that's right, performance increase. Okay, now I'm listening. Now I'm really excited, and I think that's the that was the gas in the tank that just it it was it's been missing. So I, I'm excited with where it's going. Yeah. Hmm. So Roy asked, brought up one, and I and I'm curious if you're seeing this. So from a trend, so Roy added, and, and we're kind of on the same vein of topic here. This the connection we're talking about this connection between things, which we've got right. The AI is kind of fueling it. It's it's fueling all this stuff. 
We're now talking about these talent marketplace concepts of actually making mobility and skill growth for a purpose to answer the so what. I, I do like the point, and I will say, I think this is an opportunity trend, maybe a little bit more, and maybe the talent marketplace is starting to get here, but this connecting benefits and rewards together, I still see it as a big opportunity. I'd love to see it as a trend. I'd love to see it as a, you know, you're doing all this. And as a result, there's something in it for me as the employee, because a lot of the conversations I'm hearing now, it's still very organization centric. This is really good for us. It's good for us and the costs we're going to take out. And it's good because of this. It's not always an employee centric conversation of the what's in it for them. What really are, well, they get a job they like better. Like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, how is that really putting them in the center? Yeah. I'll, I, I want to take one swing at this. I actually am. I'm working on a, a piece at the at the moment, and I, I think this is the way I'm thinking about it right now. Anyway, part of my job is to sit around and think. If I'm honest, and so this is this is one of the things that I'm sitting around and thinking about, is that we have taken L and D is like so performance oriented that the measure of success is just business outcome. And all of business is like, you know, the business roundtable is coming out and saying, you know, it should be uh, conscious capitalism. And like, we should be for the benefit of the employees, not just the benefit of the org organization. And so I think the other measure of success that we're going to see uh, increasingly so is talent mobility, yeah. like economic mobility for our employees as a result of new opportunities. So I think to your point, I mean, if you talk about rewards in terms of like, here's a a bonus or like here's a watch or like, I don't Amazon gift <laughs> I haven't seen that trend and quite personally yeah. I'm not gonna get terribly excited about that. But if if what we're talking about in terms of rewards is you're developing new skills you're learning and so here's a new type of project, here's a new position that's gonna open, here's a new level that you get to go to, then all of a sudden that thing that was the measure of success of learning is performance is that the measure of success of talent development is talent mobility. And one benefits mostly the organization and one benefits both of us. If, if does that- it, you No, it, do, it does make sense. And I think this is where, when I talk about this a lot, I, I think the big opportunity for us is we need to get better at telling these stories to the employees because I don't think the employees just naturally are drawing these connections. They're yeah. hearing, oh, hey, you're going to have a talent marketplace and talent mobility. And they're going, I don't yeah. know, you HR nerds might know what that means. That doesn't mean anything to me. And I'm not understanding what that looks like versus if we can tell the story and help them connect the dots to say, hey, guess what that means? That means that instead of feeling like your only career path is waiting for your boss to retire, <laughs> that's not your only career path anymore. This whole career ladder thing you've been hearing yeah. that, that you didn't really know what to do with because you thought, well, uh, there's no my bot, there's no openings on my team. And it's saying, guess what? The skills you have actually are awesome over here. And you might be able to make this over here and do a completely different job or you thought you were at the ceiling, you're not because now that function is no longer the cap of your skill set. So I think that it exists, but I don't think that story is completely being told to employees. Yeah. 
I haven't seen it happen a bunch uh, yet myself. That doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, but I am wondering from a measurement perspective, talent like is internal transfers and talent mobility one point of measure, but is, is another more employee-centric measurement just satisfaction or engagement, engagement, not just satisfaction, but like are, are people, because right, if they think they have opportunities, they'll, they're going to actually be a lot more engaged. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, like way more time than feel, right? For if time feel dropping, it's cost of hiring dropping, but absolutely it's, it's engagement. And it has this like halo effect where everybody feels like there's more opportunity if they see those kind of things happening. I think that's absolutely the case. And, yeah. and sometimes, and I think this is where, can you quantify this stuff? Yes, you can absolutely quantify. In many cases, I feel like, Justifying the ROI on this stuff is is actually not as hard as sometimes we make it out to be in terms of, oh, well, that system sounds you know, expensive or doing a talent mobility. That's not, well, you start calculating the cost of hire. You start calculating the cost of people leaving. Yeah. You pretty much just came up with that number times 100 right. overnight, and suddenly it doesn't seem so expensive. Now, if you're an organization that struggles to make those kind of risk-based decisions where you go, well, I'm promising you this is going to go down and this is all we have to spend. That, that can be a different conversation. Yeah. But yeah. so one other thing though, and one, one, one question or kind of comment that came in that I'm actually excited to hit on this one. I'm curious your thoughts. So Alex asked about this, right? The digital transformation of internal employee focused stuff, moving out to extended enterprise and, and things like that. Now, from a trend standpoint, if it's not a trend, and if, if the people who are in my new organization that I'm joining are watching this, this will be a little bit of insight what I'm playing. I fully think this is a huge opportunity, and I fully plan on capitalizing on this because I was with one organization and I led it, and I took what we were doing to employees, to our customers, and we ended up generating more revenue than some of our products because we were able to turn this into a business and I was able to self-fund the entire organization. So in terms of, do I see this as a massive trend right now? I don't yet. I think it's a gold mine of opportunity for organizations to say, you have all these customers, they need education and learning on the things yeah. that you do and all this stuff. I think sometimes the fragmentation of customer ed and employee ed really kind of creates that tension. But to Alex's question, I don't know that I'm seeing it all over as people are talking about it. I think it is an untapped gold mine that I'm I'm hoping to start mining soon. I mean I feel like customer ed though is a really fast growing part of the of yeah. the space. So like that's fair. I feel like it is really growing. And I, like I'm a part of a customer ed Slack channel that has like 1300 people in it. And like it's just like growing like crazy people. Like there's just more and more opportunities. And I think as someone who who was on the software side and is now on the client side from seven years ago till now like the level of education and equipping that that uh, companies are giving to or to clients, it's like people should pay for that and they are paying for that. So like, I think it's a big well, opportunity. Well, yeah. so, so this is, here's what's interesting about this conversation for me. Before <laughs> I joined Guild, a lot of my focus after I left Capital One was actually on learner experience. Yep. And the companies that were calling me 
Um, the I had a recruiting phone call when I was at Capital One. It's from GoPro. And they were like, we want you to come lead L&D here. Um, but really, we want you to focus on customer education. And I was like, I, uh, I, uh, yeah. I don't know how to do that. Like, it was really quickly <laughs> apparent that I did not have the skills for that job, right? Okay. Like, okay, thanks. Uh, missed that opportunity, GoPro. I'm sure that would have been a really interesting time in my career. But that turned on in me. We started changing inside Capital One. We started focusing on UX all over the place. And it turns out that most companies, like, forgive me, uh, we create really crappy experiences for learning because we have like the single worst invention that ever existed in the learning space is the due date because it gave us the ability to create really terrible exper experiences, but force people through it. Right. Yep. And like, that's what we do at scale. And so the mm -hmm. phone calls that I was getting in, you know, my skill set changed at Capital One after that phone call. But then all of the consulting conversations that I ended up having at post that time were all companies who the L&D function had some responsibility for both internal and external L&D. And they were like, I mean, you could help us with internal, but oh my God, we know that we have to create a stellar experience for external or they're not going to show up. So we're competing on like a consumer grade experience externally. And like internally, we're like, and we'll yeah, get the job done and we can force people through it. <laughs> We'll just give you another due date. Put another due date, and and yeah. that's your point, Jeff. I think you brought up a really good point, Jeff, which is there are definitely organizations, and I will say customer ed. I am seeing that as a trend with sure. with companies that are going. We should invest in this. I think the opportunity is for people in our field one to kind of expand their skill set to say, hey, maybe we could think about this. And honestly, having done it a couple of times, it's a huge opportunity to bring those things together to say, rather than having customer experience and employee experience as these two desperate things completely disconnected, yeah. let's bring that together as a central strategy. And one, let's treat our employees like our customers, like we care about them, like they matter. Yeah. Them. Let's do the same for our employees, but we can then, again, unify our tech and our strategy around that to say, let's maximize this. It also, I can just say, can put us in a position where we're a P&L responsible organization uh, yeah. Yeah. that gives us more credibility, more capability to do things because now we're not an expense. We're generating money thrown at you, right? <laughs> was that it? It was customer education where they were throwing money at you, wasn't it? <laughs> it so, was not. It was yeah. not actually surprising. Although the customer ed thing, they did do that as well. I think a lot of the challengers in the learning tech space, specifically in like LMSs, have actually come from one of two things over yeah. the past couple of years. They are either sales focused LMSs, right? And they have made their, like they sell around L&D by just going directly to the sales organization who can really clearly see they move product if they have good, you know, experiences and people complete the training. And the second one is from customer L&D. And they've kind of lived as separate systems and you have big players in the market trying to build out better uh, extended enterprise offerings so that they can, on again, like, I have two bills to two different vendors. Let's just have one that's one and a half times instead of two. Yep. And so uh, I see a lot of that activity, but I think a lot of the challengers over the past couple of years who have driven innovation, especially in learning management over the past couple of years have really come from either sales enablement focused experiences or customer education.
And I think that's why it's a huge opportunity for us because the risk, and this is where I sometimes see this, this go south is because of that, they don't necessarily have the L&D background in terms of understanding the psychology, you know, that whole component. And so they're just operating purely from a product UX standpoint. And this is where I say, it's an opportunity for us to say, hey, why don't we bring this together so that we get the best of both worlds? We've got this customer centricity. We've got this whole kind of revenue focused product life cycle type thing. And let's combine it with this whole L&D development. How are we thinking about it that way so that we're actually crafting a better solution and everybody wins in that world? So there you go. There's our there's our biggest tech. Because <laughs> we're, we're almost out of time. So we probably should wrap it before we get before we get too far into anything, because I actually do have to jump to another meeting. But any any other final closing thoughts with the three, two minutes that we have left, gentlemen? I've always <laughs> got something to say, Christopher. Yeah, like, um, I think we're going to continue to see more fragmentation in the market as people sure. develop specializations and more acquisitions. Like, I think there's going to still, we're going to keep- Okay, this, so there, there you go. That would, okay, I'll make that my question. Consolidation yeah. or fragmentation? And your your bets on fragmentation? My bet is on both. My bet oh. is at the lower, uh, more specialized end of the market, more fragmentation. Yeah. And then I think yeah. on the higher end of the market, more acquisition. We've seen a lot of that activity yeah. in the past 12 months. Yeah, I think yeah. That's acquisition. But more, as more growth happens in sales enablement, like where I sit and customer ed and things like that, I think those teams as they grow are going to drive more fragmentation because we don't want to have to lean on super large one one all systems versus a system that can really deliver. So I think the growth of those teams are going to drive more fragmentation, but it's totally a, a push and pull. Okay. So mine on this, and then we'll then we'll close, then we'll close. This has been so much fun. Is I, I'm with you, Matthew, where I think it's a both, but I think it's going to be in distinct areas. I think in certain areas we're going to see that consolidation because we don't need another LMS, right? That that whole basic functionality where we say, hey, like, I think we're going to see more of that get consumed up. But that specialization, I'm only seeing more and more niche categories of things where you go, this needs <laughs> a, came up with like, that, right? This needs <laughs> a special winning. thing. You can't expect yep. Workday to add this functionality right. to its platform. It's just not going to. And if it did, yeah. it's going to be so far behind it's never going to catch up. And I think that's where you yeah. are going to see this divergence, but yeah. but with strategic kind of direction. Okay. Well, with that, <laughs> this was an awesome pivot. This was an absolutely awesome pivot and an incredible way to start 2021. I'm so glad you're both in the Slack community. And I was able to say, yeah. hey, do you want to jump on a live stream right now? <laughs> and you both said, let's do it. Because this was great. Yeah. Hopefully everybody watching... Hopefully everybody watching got something out of this, found some value. And um, gentlemen, I truly appreciate it. Your insights and just your perspective on this has been fantastic. And I love just having these conversations. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for the time. And thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Yeah.